would like to shout out Cooper Street Correctional Facility Deputy Warden Secretary Kamara Roney. She is a great asset to the Michigan Department of Corrections and the state of Michigan. She represents professionalism and kindness. Hey there, podcast listeners. Welcome to a new episode of Field Days, an award-winning podcast about news and hot topics related to the Michigan Department of Corrections. Here are your almost witty hosts, Chris Gouts and Greg Straub. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Field Days podcast. I'm Greg Straub, joined as always by, wait a minute. He's not here, so I'm not, not joined here. as always. Nope. I'm joined by the lovely Joel Craddy, who Aww, works in thanks. his office. Yeah. So, um, hey, thanks for coming on and uh, hanging out with me today. For this I'm very podcast. excited. I'm actually glad. I'm, no offense against Chris, but I'm glad he's not here. No, all offense against Chris. No. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> because but today's it's episode is a great day. Yeah. Yes. So. I mean, this what a, what a great podcast to come on, Joel. It's we have we have a dog hanging out with us today. Yeah. And that is awesome. Coming up on the elevator with our two guests, Diana and Melissa, and. Gordon Ramsay, the golden retriever who's with us. It was like being with a rock star on the way up. Oh, I, People yeah. were, there were gasps in the hallway. So it's well, going to be a good day. Our podcast come out on a Tuesday. Um, little secret is we do record these before they come out. So we're actually recording this on the Friday before. So, I mean, what better Friday than to have Gordon Ramsay join us for a podcast? That's pretty cool. But I'm also excited to have the individuals who brought Gordon Ramsay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not just about the He's the a dogs. celebrity. He can't bring himself. Exactly. I mean, exactly. He's got to have an entourage. Yes. Um, and that is Melissa Spooner and Diana LaFra. Thanks for coming on Field Days to talk about uh, the prison puppies, right? Thank you for having us on. I'm a little bit disappointed that we are not the celebrities that you were <laughs> referring to. I know, that was kind of rude. I'm sorry. When you said <laughs> rock stars in the hallway and coming up in the elevator, I just kind of pictured myself with the fan and yeah. my hair blowing. And in fact, I guess it's this little golden dream that we have. Well, <laughs> listen, listen, we work in corrections. We don't oftentimes at Central Office get puppies and dogs to come join us. So it, it's, it's, it's fun for us. And I have a pretty cool job. Yes, you do actually have a good job. So, Melissa, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Yeah, so uh, my name is Melissa Spooner and I'm the coordinator of Prison Puppies. And so essentially what that means is that um, I oversee all of the partnerships between Leader Dogs for the Blind, uh, which is out of Rochester Hills, Michigan, and our correctional facilities that partner with us to raise puppies for our organization. Well, what a wonderful program to be involved Thank with. You. And Diana, welcome to Field Days. We uh, we appreciate coming on. And tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do. I'm Diana LaFra and I'm a reentry coordinator with the department. About five years ago, I was a prison counselor, and I was the liaison for prison puppies at Cotton Correctional Facility. And when I um, transitioned over to Offender Success, I was sad to leave prison puppies. And one of the things that I experienced as a prison counselor and overseeing the program was lives transformed. Not just with, you know, the clients at the end that get the dog, but inside in prison, seeing the prisoners work together in a team and do conflict resolution. All of the things that we teach in the COG-based programs, to see it live and actually happen in front of you, it was pretty remarkable. I approached Melissa when I let her know that I was going to be um, going over to Offender Success and telling her, you know, I was really sad. Is there any way I can stay involved? And she and her team developed a volunteer position for me, the Corrections Liaison Coordinator. So I work with all of the prisons with their liaisons and going through with their prison puppies. And I'm available to them for um, any kind of advice. We go into the prisons and do uh, team building work and evaluations and 
interviews with potential um, puppy raisers. That's that's great, and I can hear you know your passion for doing this um, as you as you talk about this. So I, I'm happy that you got to kind of stay on with this. I am too. But Melissa, let's talk about this program in the prison puppies. First of all, what is it for those of us who don't understand what this is? When, yeah. did, when, did, it, when did we start this relationship and, and kind of how long has it been around for? So believe it or not, this relationship has been existing for quite some time, but it didn't start here in Michigan. So way back in 2002, it actually started in a correctional facility in Iowa. We were approached by a security guard in an Iowa prison who was also uh, a member of a Lions Club. And uh, Lions Clubs, if you're not familiar, they are a big supporter of many organizations, but they are one of the biggest supporters of Leader Dogs for the Blind. So this uh, particular CO decided that he had a whole workload of individuals that could uh, produce help for us. And what better to fill their time and fill our need than to have them volunteer to raise puppies for us. And of course, um, at the time, we were terrified. We were thinking, is it really appropriate to put our puppies in a, in a prison? What's going to happen to them? These dogs are extremely valuable to us. They're obviously because we're animal lovers and dog lovers and um, we protected our little uh, fluffy puppies. But it's something that we tried and we kept as somewhat of a dirty secret for a couple of years. But what we were finding is success, um, success in puppy raising. Uh, Our dogs were uh, being successful going on to graduate and become guide dogs for individuals that are blind or visually impaired. And so our puppy raising initiative in correctional facilities grew and it blossomed. Um, it blossomed so large that now we are in 12 correctional facilities. We're raising about 43% of the puppies for leader dogs for the blind. And 10 of those correctional facilities are right here in Michigan. That's um that's very cool. So how how did how did you start with us? Uh, so we started actually in one particular prison. That's URF or Chippewa up in the UP. Uh, they heard about our puppy raising initiative that was in two other correctional facilities. And again, those were out of state. Um, one is in Lino Lakes, Minnesota. The other is in uh, Fort Dodge, Iowa. And um, they wanted to get in on the puppies. Of course, who wouldn't want to get into the puppies? <laughs> it makes your day better having puppies present at your office, right? Your place of employment. And so they approached us and it just began to blossom from there. How many prisons um, in Michigan are you working in right now? We're in 10 right now. Is that covering what you need? I mean, I'm not sure what the volume is, how many people out there are, you know, looking to get connected with a guide dog that would, you know, give them a a greater sense of independence in some ways or be another tool for them? Yeah, that's a a really good point. So um, the individuals that are blind or visually impaired are really vast and some of the statistics show us that they are underemployed they do not have the ability to really be independent uh, or work on their own, um, go to school or appreciate or approach many of their goals that they actually want to obtain. And so um, Leader Dog actually serves about 250 clients with guide dogs each year, about another 100 uh, clients that need to learn how to use a white cane or what we call orientation and mobility, and about 50 or so teenage kids, uh, 16 and 17 year olds that come on campus for our summer experience camp. So altogether, those numbers are about 350 per year that we're able to serve through our different uh, programs. All of our programs, and this is something that I'm asked quite frequently, they're free. They're absolutely no charge to any individual that needs to take place. Keep in mind that Leader Dog is not just uh, based in the United States. We are a Michigan organization, but we actually serve individuals outside of the United States, including uh, Spain, Mexico, and countries like Brazil as well. All of our services are at zero charge to those individuals that need them. 
are the puppies that we're raising in 10 prisons, is that meeting your need or, or do you need more Our need volunteers? is still very much more. So we need to have about um, 500 dogs born for the purpose of leader dogs for the blind every year to make sure that we have the appropriate dogs to go into the hands of, uh, of the clients. Right now, with that 43% being raised in correctional facilities, we want to grow that we are expanding, but we are looking for more correctional facilities to partner with and more puppy raisers. So if we have a warden who's out there listening, a deputy warden who's listening, what can they do? How would, would they approach through our CFA chain of command? You know, how would they get a hold of Diana or you to find out what they can do to bring puppies to their facility? They can either go to our website, which is www.leaderdog.org, or they can contact me directly. Uh, again, my name is Melissa Spooner, and my email is pretty simple. It's melissa.spooner at leaderdog.org. Great. And we'll make sure to put that in the show notes as well. So I'm going to address the, not the elephant in the room, the puppy in the room. We've got a puppy with us, Gordon Ramsey. We mentioned him. Now, Gordon's what you call an ambassador for the for your project? That's right. So what Gordon represents is a dog that uh, we identify as career changed. And often I get asked about what that means. It's a very nice way to say that he opted not to be a guide dog and he's no longer in the guide dog program. You ask that kind of funny question, how did he opt out? Well, dogs have a different way of telling us that they're not interested in this position. This line of work is not for them. It's not suitable. And um, our guide dog mobility instructors are trained very closely to listen to their dogs. And once they decide that they're not comfortable with this program, um, we do release them from that. But our dogs are really bred for a life of service. And so our ultimate goal is to find another service career or what we identify as an alternative career for them to take part in. So there could be things like being a canine advocacy dog, uh, a dog that helps kids testify in court. There is border patrol and bomb sniffing. But what he does for us is he is a canine ambassador. So we actually are able to send field reps out, canine field reps of leader dog. And he teaches individuals about what guide dogs do. He can give blindfold walks and he can be a good representative of our organization as well. Which is better for us that he's here because if there was a, a puppy that's involved in this, yes. well, you can't you can't pet them. So No, and that brought up a great question that I had because Melissa said, well, yeah, I'll, I'll bring a dog with me. But if I bring a puppy, you can't pet it, which yeah. is just torture. And, yeah, sure. and, um, and you see when you're, when you're out in the community and you see someone who has a, a guide dog and, you know, it says, I'm working, please do not pet. You know, are those things that our staff in the facility and all of us can keep in mind in our communities when we see these dogs? You know, what are the, what are the polite or the respectful rules to to guide dogs. Yeah. It's pretty hard being the bad guy and I bring <laughs> these adorable, cute little fuzzy puppies into correctional facilities and then I say, "Uh uh-uh, uh, you can't touch." <laughs> so, it's just kind of this mean joke, but it's something that we really have to think of these dogs being uh performance dogs. These dogs really need to be in work mode and they are protecting somebody. They're giving them that ultimate gift of independence. They are uh, keeping them safe. And so they really need to be on focus all the time. And if you think about the average golden retriever or average Labrador in somebody's home, that's no more than one or two or three years old. They're active. They're busy. Um, they are not thinking about how to keep somebody safe. Um, they're thinking about 
where their next meal is going to come from and where their next toy is going to come from. And so it's really important to not distract these dogs. Um, and those rules apply for all of our correctional facilities, both for the inmate population and for the staff as well. We ask that they acknowledge when our dogs are dressed in their uniform. And for us, that's their bandana or their jacket that says, um, I'm a future leader dog and I'm working. And that means it's an automatic hard no that you're not able to interact with that dog. Interacting with that dog may not just be petting. It may be chirping or barking or calling at them or whistling or making eye attention. Probably one of the things that I often see is individuals saying to the dog, I know I'm not supposed to pet you, so I'm just going to talk to you from here. But that's very distracting as well for the dog. So I shouldn't do that anymore in the store. Okay. <laughs> you know, good to, good. Okay. you can do gotcha. it with Gordon Ramsay. Okay. He's here to <laughs> let you engage with him, but unfortunately on the street now. Okay. So let's switch gears here a little bit and, and talk to Diana. You know, you are an MDOC employee and yes. I can hear your enthusiasm and passion for, for this. And I, and I think that's awesome. So what, what made you want to get involved with this in the first place? When I was a prison counselor at Cotton, it was a pretty new initiative there. Getting involved, hiring um, offenders to become puppy raisers, and they were kind of spread throughout, the puppies were kind of spread throughout the facility. Um, I suggested that they all get moved into the unit I was assigned, and it kind of made sense. And then when they did, it was a lot easier to manage the um, contact with the um, teams as a whole, I was able to do that, you know, right there in the housing unit, um, attending the trainings when Melissa comes for the training, recognizing, you know, behaviors that I need to be seeing, right. um, and then also being able to be the um, connection between leader dogs for the blind and the, and the prisoners. It was something that, as I said earlier, watching the prisoners come in and, you know, trusting you know, that's not a great word to use in prison with prisoners. However, we're trusting, Leader Dogs for the Blind is trusting oh, these prisoner handlers to raise these yeah. dogs. And being able to see the transformation with the prisoners, somebody that comes in, doesn't have a lot of experience. We've been telling them for a lot of years what to do, when to do it, how to do it. Maybe that, you know, they're not going to amount to anything in life they might have heard before. And they get involved in prison puppies that allows them to develop some skills, dog training skills that allows them. Feel like a human being again, right? Yes, yeah. absolutely. And then at the end of the training session, which with the prison puppies is about 12 months. So the puppies come in when they're seven, seven and a half weeks old. And then the prisoner teams um, raise them and train them until they're about 12 to 14 months before they return to leader dog. So in that time, being able to see the development of the conflict resolution, the um, working out the communication, developing better communication, it's just been very transformative in the prisons yeah. that we've seen. Probably become more empathetic. You know, it's, uh, I can see that building some empathy, uh, mm -hmm. working with dogs because, you know, Dogs are awesome and sweet. <laughs> so a couple questions just based on what you said there. One is you said you select or hire the prisoners. What process is that? How do, if, if I was a prisoner and I wanted to be part of this, how do you, how do you hire me? I, um, we initially asked for the interest, you know, so they would um, kite and say they're interested okay. in that. Um, we have an application that asks a lot of questions in it. How do you um, communicate? What are your writing skills? We um, require them to... Um, be able to write, kind of keep a diary type of book on the dog, on the process. Every three months, we have questionnaires that are sent out to ask about the training and where, you know, where they're at with it. They're provided with a 
uh, puppy raising manual that gives them the steps that they need to be um, looking at. So we ask about all of those skills and then we have a team, usually it's with our correctional facilities, they're li the liaison. At all of our correctional facilities we have what's called puppy counselors. They come in once a month and do training with the teams there and then the puppy counselors involved in that process as well. We find that having the diversity of the prison staff as well as the leader dogs for the blind, we usually can um, do pretty well at selecting our puppy raisers. When the puppies leave, after, after they've been trained, you said about 12 to 14 months old, mm -hmm. is there some uh, separation anxiety? Not with the dogs, but with the prisoners. Uh, you know, they've, they've helped raise the puppy, train them. Is it hard to let go? I think it's very emotional, yeah. and I think that we do have some prisoners who've raised more than one puppy. The first one, it's kind of like a, a shock of feeling that, like maybe that's a feeling they've never felt, that attachment, Yeah. but they um, opt to raise another dog yeah. because they know that what they're doing is giving back to a community that probably at one time they took from, and so it's... Uh, therapeutic, rehabilitative. So do you guys actually have numbers on how many puppies have been raised in Michigan prisons? We do. So each prison is a little bit different. Typically, we ask them to raise um, at least 10, a minimum of 10, um, up to 15 puppies at one time. And they're started on a staggered basis. So at the beginning, um, we send you two puppies out. And a couple months later, we send you a couple more puppies out until you reach that max level. So some of our longer existing prisons have raised just about 100 puppies for us. And some of our newer prisons are just at the 14 puppy mark. So we're right about 300 or so uh, puppies being raised in our Michigan Correctional Facilities. That also amounts to just about a thousand puppies being raised at all of our correctional facilities total since 2002. If I'm someone now, I, I don't work in one of the correctional facilities. What if I wanted to get involved? Are there ways to volunteer? Are there ways to donate? You know, what can someone do out in the community to help prison puppies or actually any of your programming? Yeah, so we are an organization that is really based on volunteer service and volunteer support. Um, our ratio between volunteers and paid staff members is actually um, quite a bit different. And so we need uh, individuals that are willing to volunteer both on campus and off of our campus. Off of our campus, that looks like either having a puppy being raised in your home. And again, that starts at about seven and a half weeks of age until the puppy is about 12 or 15 months old and then they return for formal training. We also need individuals that will host our breed stock dogs because all of our dogs come from our internal selection and that's one of the biggest uh, I guess success points I see as a puppy raiser is that your dog is so amazing we don't want them to become a guide dog we want to replicate them we want more of them and so your dog may be selected to be a breeding stock mom or dad which that means more leader dogs for us. Um, so we also need individuals that host those dogs in their home. And can you talk just real briefly about where your campus is? Yes, our campus is located in Rochester Hills, Michigan, at Rochester Road in Avon. We've actually been there in our building since 1939, and that was the start of our organization. Okay, that is good to know. So, I mean, I, I could sit here and talk about 
you know, puppies and, and this training has been this um, initiative all day long because it's, it's wonderful and it's making a difference to a lot of people, which is awesome. Um, do we miss anything? I can talk all day about this, but we'll let you guys get out of here. But is there anything else that we missed that you guys want to make sure that is known about puppies in prison? It's just been an amazing uh, portion of my work experience. I've been with Leader Dog and Prison Puppies for five years, and I've seen some just superb development of our dog handlers, our correctional facilities. I see amazing support. Um, I see this uproar of of uh, teamwork and individuals. I see uh, guys that are donating their um, wages back to Leader Dog if they are puppy raisers because they believe in our mission so much. And I'm just so thankful for the support that we get from Michigan Department of Corrections. Um, and we're thankful for what you guys do too. And I, I, first of all, thank you for coming on Field Days and talking about this wonderful, wonderful, wonderful initiative. Thank you also for doing what you do every single day. It, it makes a difference not only in you know the, the people's lives that that, that the the puppies are helping, but it makes a, a huge difference in the lives of our offenders, right? The ripple effect of that, who knows how, how far that goes. So thank you guys for what you do every single day. And uh, thanks for coming on Field Days. We appreciate it. Thank, thank you guys you. so much. That was so much fun interviewing Melissa and Diana and, of course, Gordon Ramsay as well, the uh, prettiest golden retriever. I can't wait till everybody oh, sees this photo. <laughs> Did you get that photo Greg sent I, I you? I did get a photo. Uh, well, he didn't say Gordon Ramsay. He just said that there was a much more talented um, individual sitting at my desk than, than I was. So yes. both work in that instance. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, welcome back, Chris. And now Greg isn't here today, so we're just going to wrap it's up the episode. <laughs> it's a great day. <laughs> a great Monday. So it has been a great day because we had another guest today. Yes. I mean, we met a very special guest. We had uh, we were on a conference call on a totally different issue that we won't aren't able to discuss right now. But uh, in a week or two, you'll hear all about the planning that went into that event. But while we were on that call, the director uh, stopped in my office to let me know that Miss Michigan was in her office, which is not a sentence anybody's ever said to me before. No. So that was pretty cool. So yeah, so we got to meet uh, Miss Michigan, uh, Chanel Johnson, who is a uh, probation agent. Well, actually, she just uh, switched roles. Now she's a PSI writer in uh, in Troy, I believe is where her office is. And so it was very, very cool to meet her. She's very, very tall. I think I think she's taller than both Greg and I. Yes, maybe even like on stacked up. I mean, she was <laughs> yes. the high heels and the crown. She actually had the crown on yes, today, yes, which I learned a little bit about. And uh, it, they aren't real diamonds, but she does get to keep it after a year after her time is, is f- fulfilled. And if she wins uh, Miss USA, uh, then she has then she'll re- receive one that has real diamonds and pearls in it. So that she gets to keep. I think she has to give it back, but she oh. gets to wear it for a year, which is pretty cool. That uh, is pretty and, cool, and more more so than any anything that I have. So. Uh, I don't normally have uh, crowns that I wear with diamonds in them, but if I did, I'd want the real thing, I suppose. Obviously. <laughs> so, yeah, so, but it was great to meet her, and we are actually going to be talking with her later this week. Uh, so you'll hear that next week on the podcast. You'll hear all about uh, her and her time, and the reason why she was here is because she was going over with the director to meet uh, Governor Whitmer. Uh, so, again, very cool, and you'll be seeing pictures of that on social media, I'm sure, very, very soon. Speaking of this week, we're talking to Chanel. Uh, the same day is Boss's Day, so happy Boss's Day, Chris. <laughs> Thank you, and we we will have to figure out what we're going to do for, for our, our boss. So hopefully she's not listening and we doesn't realize that we haven't picked anything out for her yet. <laughs> we had it out months ago. Just yes, yeah, we did get that months ago. Edit yes, that out. Yes. We should probably go shopping uh, right now so we can get that taken care of. Uh, well, I mean, we've already got it taken care of, right? We did that months we ago. Did. Again, we did, so, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Lots of editing to do uh, here because clearly we've already gotten our, our gift purchase for Director Washington. So until next time, why don't you stay tuned and we'll be back with another episode of the Field Days Podcast. 
right. As always, thank you for listening. We'd love it if you would help us spread the word about the podcast. You can do that by subscribing to the show on iTunes and leave us a review. You can always follow the department on Facebook at MI Corrections and on Twitter at Michigan DOC, as well as the FOA account at MDOC FOA and the CFA account at MDOC CFA. And you can send any questions you have to the show using the hashtag AskFieldDays. Until next time, thanks for tuning in to Field Days Podcast.